Welcome to What the If. Gravitation. Coming to you from the Gravitation Division. If gravity can be divided. If we have a division that's not subject to gravity, that's worthy of note, I would that's say. That's right. <laughs> we do but those guys are really spacey uh, we have we have a super special guest today uh one of our favorites one of your favorites the audience favorite um we'll get to him in just a moment but before we do that uh we can introduce your your current crew i'm philip shane documentary filmmaker and I will be uh, your purser today. I don't really know what the purser does, but I remember there was one on, on Love Boat, and he was kind of cool. Sounds important. So I'll be that. Uh, Gabby, what, what, what uh, position would you like on the Love Boat today? Um, is there a position for unknown biological entity? Because that just kind of jibes with me. Yeah. I don't really know if that's <laughs> normally on the oh, Love yeah. Boat. Maybe the unknown biological entity can be like Skipper for the day. But... <laughs> Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fantastic. Just kind of looking forward uh, to being Gab something that breaks containment. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, it's got a little bit more like the Poseidon Adventure or something. <laughs> um, Gabby Panicia, virologist at Rockefeller University. And Matt Stanley, what position would you like? I'm afraid it has been so long since I watched The Love Boat that I can't even make a solid joke about it. Okay. Um, so You'll be the bartender. I'll, I'll be in charge of shuffle bard. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. You'll be, yeah. Yeah. That's very nice. And our special guest today, returning to the if, um, is uh, Dr. Brian Keating. And uh, you have many, um, many uh, attributes, which I will let you identify the ones you prefer. Um, but before we get to that, I know that you are at the Arthur C. Clarke Center for the Imagination. Is that correct? Uh, I am. Uh, yeah, I am the uh, associate director of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination, where I run the Into the Impossible podcast, where I've had uh, a third of you on my show so far. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it is a fantastic podcast. You and your guests i mean i love the conversation that, and anyone if you're listening to this show and you have not listened to brian's show do check it out into the impossible uh i just love the conversations you have with the people it's really nice and different than the usual um thing so it's very cool uh and you are an astronomer is that correct how else would how else would you describe yourself on the love boat i would be on the love boat i'd be the cosmetologist but i am a i'm an <laughs> cosmetologist <laughs> i'm an ex experimental <laughs> cosmologist so i make universes for a living uh no i make uh experiments to observe the universe astrophysics uh, telescopes and analyze the data they're from and that is my day job as one of the leaders of the simons observatory now under construction in chile at uh 5200 meters or as we say in new york 17,200 feet and that is uh, going to get first light, we hope, next year. Virologist, virologist yeah, willing, we will achieve. <laughs> <laughs> I 
think first microwave. I should That's amazing. Yeah, very specific. First microwave, not first light. Yeah, I was going to say first. Right, right, yeah. right, right. right. Um, very cool. Very exciting. And today, um, you come with a very intriguing if. And that has to do with um, WTF is what the if or WTF is gravity. We don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, we have a lot of knowledge about what it does, I suppose, but we don't know why it does what it does, where, what's causing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so without further ado, I'm just going to jump right in. And our if this week is what the if? Gravity cannot be quantized. So, I said all those words. I said all those words. I don't really know. <laughs> how how they connected other than with a drum beat so uh brian tell us this is this is actually kind of uh i don't know if call it a crisis or it's one of the hardest problems facing cosmology yeah. right now yeah is that right it's it's a problem that is yeah. as vexing as it is overhyped <laughs> uh meaning that <laughs> almost everybody thinks that gravity is like all the other forces and will become uh, subject to the laws on the very smallest scales, the laws of the, the realm of the quantum, it will be subject to quantification in a similar way that the other forces of nature seem to bear fruit when quantized. And that means having a self-consistent rule to treat objects at very large scales, classical scales, and very small scales. And the quest to unify gravity and quantum mechanics uh, is as old as all of physics, at least, in that it fits into the tradition of unification, which is something that scientists have held firm to since Aristotle, since, uh, you know, the great Galileo Galilei, um, unifying phenomena on earth with those in the heavens. Those were the first attempts to unify disparate, seemingly unrelated phenomena, like the planets and a cannonball on earth or seem very different or an apple hitting uh, someone's uh, white hair <clears throat> during a, a similar plague in the 1600s. But, <laughs> but in this case, uh, um, the, you know, kind of the, the, the script that nature seems to have written has clues and those clues may reveal an intrinsic order and that order or symmetry is very intoxicating to scientists uh, including my theoretical inclined friends that study theoretical physics remember i'm an experimentalist uh, but uh, i kind of get a little bit uh, frustrated by a consistent refrain by many of them. i've had 11 soon to be 11 nobel prize winners so far 10, only 10 uh, Nobel laureates on the show. And most of them, you know, if we get talking about 
gravity or quantum mechanics. Most of them, half of them are, you know, they're all physicists, but some are, some are, they're, you know, not all physicists are equal, right? As George Orwell would say. <laughs> so in this case, they mainly believe in the, in the possibility or the mandate of having gravity be play nicely with the laws of quantum mechanics. And yet there's no, there's no letter from God, as I say, uh, that mandates it. And for, in fact, it's worse because we kind of have this solipsistic or circular Ouroboros-like thing where we say, well, we have to quantize gravity because we need to explain how black holes singularities work and how um, the Big Bang originated, as my past guest, uh, Sir Roger Penrose, has spoken about or um, you know, many, many other guests um, have spoken about. And then the question is, how do you reconcile that, um, the Big Bang or a black hole, with uh, an observable, which is not hidden by the event horizon or the ultimate event horizon, which is the Big Bang itself? So that's the nature of this right. question. Why do we assume that gravity has to be unified? I think that's fun to talk about. And then what if it's not? Where will we go from? Right, right, right. So I'm going to take one half step back and then I'm going to hand it off to Gabby. Um, basically, we to, to, to just sort of restate for those who are just getting up to speed, um, we, have inc we have incredible theories, an incredible theory that explains what goes on inside the atom. It does a lot of very strange things, but you can calculate, calculate that to an unbelievable degree of accuracy. And we also have a theory... Um, people are more familiar with, uh, comes to us from Albert Einstein about how um, gravity works. And that is general relativity is a big part of general relativity. Um, and yet these two things, some at some point, whatever's going on has to be the same or at the same, or if they can't be reconciled, then at what point does the switchover happen and what is going on there? It's totally weird. So, so that's sort of the, the question is, we understand both these things, but we can't put them together. So Gabby, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, so I am feeling like this is going to dive into a lot of math that makes my head hurt. Um, but I, I think, so this is, you know, just compiling together that things that I've heard from people who talk about physics. Um, so this is essentially developing a quantized theory of gravity would be sort of part of putting together this theory of everything, right? That you could have some sort of unified mathematical system, which will then let you calculate everything in the known universe, gravity, atomic interactions, interatomic interactions, everything like that. Does that sound like I'm on the right page? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is uh, kind of the holy grail in our field is to is to have a single equation. My guest, Michio Kaku, calls it the God equation, a single equation written maybe one inch in length, although he hasn't seen my handwriting. So he can't know that I am incapable <laughs> of anything less than than 80 point comic sans. But um, uh, inch long equation that encapsulates all the laws of physics. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to explain every event, every space time coordinate, every molecule's motion. It just means that we understand mathematically uh, and predictively so the behavior of the four forces of nature that we're aware of and how they interact with each other on cosmic scales, 
the, the very large and the very small on the quantum scales. Is there something in uh, biology, Gabby, that is, is there any metaphor for this where you have, or maybe there's a lot of areas where you have, you totally understand these different things, but you have no idea how they go together? Biology is more of an area of, uh, I feel like you're, you're stuck with a black box. Well, you're trying to find a black cat in a dark room and you don't know if there's a cat is more biology, I feel like. So gravity, at least you kind of know it's there and you're trying to be like, all right, well, how do we explain this? Biology is, I'm not really 100% sure that what I'm seeing is real and it's always going to be context dependent of uh, whatever this molecule is doing on this particular time on a Tuesday. Um, so I think this is exactly where biology and physics really diverge, where here you're trying to create sort of a, a constant, well, sort of way of explaining the way this thing always is, uh, where a lot of biology is kind of trying to figure out what's going on, I feel like, in the first place. And developing yeah. these sort of always rules are usually have a string of asterisks mm. uh, behind them. And yeah, yeah. I think one place I find it disturbing, even, this, this notion of what, what Brian's getting at, is that we are all, in biology, which we are, largely, are, we are, and everything, everything that exists, as far as we know, um, is made up of atoms and the things that are inside them and the things that they create when they combine. Mm -hmm. And um, for us to have no understanding what's going on, what, what, what governs those is really kind of, I mean, we can say, well, yeah, of course, because it's really hard to understand, but on the other hand, it's kind of disturbing. Um, Matt, I'm going to bring it to you and then, and then we'll get back to Brian. Uh, Matt, I feel like what, what's really fascinating Brian's question here is this notion of what if these two theories can't be reconciled? And Brian, is it correct to say, is there some thought, even though this would be a really far out idea, that maybe the universe is not unified for some reason? That there aren't, that there are different packages of things and, and Matt is that something that's ever happened in history or has it always been that people generally just thought well we know it's all together we're just trying to figure it out well I mean this is the the great trick this actually came up one of my students asked me this just the other day huh? um, and they were very frustrated that I couldn't give a, a clean answer <laughs> um, so they said well you know what why can't it just be that there are two different theories of gravity that apply to different scales uh, and I said well there could be um, and then another student across the table said, but then you're just giving up on science. And, and her, her exclamation there, I think, is actually a really good one, that there's this sense that when we talk about scientific explanation at all, um, we mean we're looking for this kind of unity and universality. Um, and it, that turns out to be very difficult to justify um, in terms of fundamentals. But nonetheless, it's such a powerful goal. Um, it's very hard to know what science would look like if we didn't accept that. Right. And I guess um, Einstein believed it so strongly that he even said and spent the rest of his life just saying that the problem with quantum mechanics was simply that we just don't, you, there are hidden variables. There's just things we just, you just don't know. Eventually we will learn what it is that's inside there. We, we will discover the pieces, right? And, and mm -hmm. that would explain it. So Brian, what would it mean if you, if literally, if it just for some reason, absolutely these two things could not be put together. Well, yeah, the pushback, um, um, you know, Matt's student perhaps, um, 
you know, it, it's <laughs> often said that, you know, that the universe, you know, needs our, you know, particles or physics itself needs physicists the way that, you know, birds need ornithologists. Uh, they're going to be just fine, you know, without us. Um, you know, science proceeds apace. So I, I want to do an, an another hypothetical, you know, what the if, what if, you know, for example, uh, quantum mechanics was discovered before classical mechanics. Um, and, and we were very sensitive, you know, yeah. motive Planck's constant was really big and the speed of light was very slow, perhaps. And other things, the fine structure constant was more accessible. Um, so we would n notice quantum effects more than uh, classical effects. And I should point out that one of my teachers used to say, we call these things classical, so we should really call these things quantal. And I just feel it, found, it sounds weird to me. I, I just can't <laughs> say it. It doesn't yeah, feel gross. It doesn't quantal. Yeah. I got yeah, a bad, bad case of quantals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a sound, you know, like I think we might be mixing, mixing linguistic yeah, exactly. roots there. Um, yeah. uh, and so the question, it would be, then you'd say, well, you know, how can we get classical mechanics, you know, when we have billions and trillions of, of these, of these, you know, quantum objects, how, you know, how can we reproduce the world of the classical? And maybe you, there are classical limits. Um, that one can derive. And um, similarly, you can derive Newton's equations from Einstein's equations. But, you know, what if, what the if Einstein came before Newton, um, if you can imagine it. Mm -hmm. So I think you could always ask those types of questions. The, the fundamental question to me is, is does nature, because all these things relate to what are called symmetry principles. And I think Gabby would recognize this as a very, very important aspect of biology. Uh, that you have certain symmetries in certain biological organisms. And again, I failed, Gabby, you should know, you don't know me, but <laughs> I, I failed you know, freshman biology because I dissected a frog and it lived. The frog lived, Gabby. <laughs> It, 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 that's how bad a biologist. I'm, I'm horrible. I'm shocked they gave you live frogs that weren't just like dead from a freezer, soaked in formaldehyde. No, yeah. I was I was in charge of ribbit mortis, ribbit mortis. Get it? Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, so I know nothing about biology except that there are governing pr principles, natural selection. You know, evolution driven by guided by natural selection. Uh, you know, DNA possesses certain heritable you know tra uh, traits. It's, uh, so those are guiding principles of biology, and so too in physics we have guiding principles, but. It's not that it could be otherwise. You know, uh, many biologists thought, you know, DNA was a, well, uh, Schrodinger thought it was a crystal. Um, I uh, thought it was some sort of aperiodic a crystal. Um, what a fool. That guy could have had a good career. What a, what a maroon, as, as Bugs Bunny would say. Um, so in the context of, of what we try to do, I often wonder, Matt, maybe, and from a philosophical perspective, you can, you know, comment on it, but... If we're not imposing these kind of um, teleological or, or, or at least anthropomorphic senses, like um, for one thing, what I'm talking about when we talk about a quantum theory of gravity, we're talking about something called a theory of everything, T O E. Um, and I like to point out, we don't have even a precursor to that is called a grand unified theory. So there, let me take one big step back. There's four fundamental forces of nature. We believe there are hints that there could be a fifth. I'm not going to get into that. That's very tentative. But um, gravity, electricity, and magnetism, which are unified into one force by uh, James Clerk Maxwell. Then there's the weak nuclear force, which was unified by one of my guests, uh, Sheldon Glashow, Steven Weinberg, and Abdus Salam. 
and they unified it into what's known as electroweak force. And then there's a strong force. And it's not known yet how the strong force unifies with the electroweak force, let alone with gravity. So I always make the joke, we're putting the toe before the gut. And uh, <laughs> there's no guarantee. Be, and the toe is much more complicated than the gut uh, because it requires uh, the forces to be maintained and preserved their properties over cosmic to quantum scales, but only is the strong and weak nuclear forces are only manifest on very minute scales. So is it a symptom of our need to kind of make epistemological closure on these things, Matt, that, that we kind of force us, it's not the physics, it's the physicists doing mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say, actually, you mentioned Maxwell. Maxwell writes about this problem extensively. Um, and it's interesting that one of the kind of the, the great granddaddy of unified uh, theories um, brings up this possibility. He says, maybe we're just imagining that the universe should be put together this way. And his metaphor is, uh, we, th we pretend the universe is like a book where there's like a unified argument. And if you look at one chapter, it should agree with another chapter. But he says maybe the universe is like a magazine. It's a bunch of random articles, right? There's one article about Saturn's rings and one article about the Kardashians. And if you think you if it's you think there's something like between the universe, those, you're the universe wrong, is a Twitter thread. Right? That's right. Um, so it's uh, again, as you say, people have have tried to justify this, um, but it's really hard to do without invoking some basic assumptions about the universe. So whether it's the universe or it's us, um, what I the I think the the justification I find most persuasive is actually this kind of pragmatic utilitarianism, which is that looking for unification in nature has proven really helpful for understanding nature. That is, you actually. It has been a, a royal road to pointing out things to us that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, so even if there isn't some fundamental reason for it to be that way, it's worked out pretty nicely thinking it's that way. Yeah. Gabby, what I, do you think? No, I mean, I definitely like understand Matt's point of view. I think that's really cool. Um, I guess my kind of curiosity is, Brian, you introduced yourself as an experimentalist. And so, you know, I know nothing really about experiments in physics other than sort of the high energy particle smashing stuff, which I think was used to understand some of the quantum mechanics. Um, so I'm kind of curious if, okay, well, if in the process of trying to figure out where gravity fits in this and trying to, you know, figure out how to make the math, are there experiments involved in this or is it just dudes at a chalkboard? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, is this, Good you know, question. trying to understand, how do you poke at gravity, which is something that happens on such a huge scale um, where you can't really, you know, control the environment so much. You can kind of just control what equipment you're using and how you look at it, given the equipment you have. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so yeah. experiments, again, another difference between a biologist and a physicist um, you know, is that uh, the nature, or an astrophysicist rather, is that we can't do an experiment. Like I cannot, you know, um, compare our universe to another universe and ask, well, what would it look like? If, what the if the speed of light were 10% faster? I mean, you could speculate, but you can't actually do that experiment. There's no control. Um, at least with ast astronomy, we have many, many stars. We have many, many galaxies. They're statistical experiments if you like you could do but with the cosmos as an entity 
as a one-off event. And that's all the evidence we people speculate about multiverses, but we have no evidence for that. Um, so it's very difficult. So yes, it, it's extremely challenging to, we can't strictly speaking do an experiment. When I say experiment, we build telescopes, we can build neutrino, um, you know, uh, uh, telescopes, uh, we can build gravitational wave telescope. So those are types of things that can give clues. So something like LIGO, um, which is measuring, you know, properties of, you know, gravitational waves as they travel throughout the universe um, because of the collisions of black holes. For example, if there was a manifestation of the quantum nature of a singularity, if somehow that manifests itself on the surface of what's called the event horizon, if there was some sort of holographic projection of the bulk stuff at the singularity's central core, and that manifested itself in some properties of the event horizon when these things collide, then you could uh, learn about the quantum scale of gravity. You could learn about the properties of gravity. Another thing you could think about doing is, is using these devices, these gravitational wave producers, like these black holes, as a way to test the amount of dimensions that we have in the universe. Um, the spatial dimensions that we have in the universe, we're familiar with three of them, but many of the attempts to unify gravity and quantum mechanics feature as many as 10 or 11 dimensions. Some have as many oh. as 14 dimensions. Mm -hmm. So um, we'd like to know, well, what is the nature of those dimensions? Are they large? Are they small? Um, are they so small we can't see them? Are they so large they're tantamount to the other dimensions that we observe? Um, those are all legitimate questions. And we can do experiments um, to test various limits of those. So far, they have not yielded any evidence that we live in anything other than a three spatial dimension universe and plus a dimension of time. But that doesn't stop my colleagues in the theory wing you know, uh, from speculating <laughs> about uh, what could happen if things like string theory were ultimately, you know, validated. Dimensions meaning, just because I think that's wild, so X, Y, Z, and then time? That's the four-dimensional space-time fabric that Einstein, cool. you know, uh, initiated. But there are many other, Lisa Randall and, and uh, has, has come up with uh, uh, models of the universe where she has, you know, very, very large extra dimensions, things that, um, you know, could not, be, could not be seen necessarily, but could have other effects. For example, they could, uh, you could have uh, dark matter could be uh, an aspect of the manifestation of a, of a large extra dimension. Um, you might be able to test for really tiny dimensions that are curled up, these uh, little microscopic dimensions of, of the original incarnation of string theory um, had these features. So there could be manifest, and there could be observable consequences in the early universe. Um, there are string theories that ignite the Big Bang, which could leave uh, imprimatur in the form of a different type of gravitational wave called a primordial gravitational wave, not a black hole gravitational wave. So there are efforts to to look for these things. I think it's very interesting. Again, I do wonder how much and to what extent they're motivated by a desire to unify because of the parsimony and ec economics benefits, so to speak, of doing so. Right, 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 right. Um, it's interesting that it feels like it depends where you are in the history of science in terms of whether this is a big, a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's right. Am I correct in saying that in, if I understand the history correctly, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but sort of 50s or in the 60s and 70s when we were finding all kinds of particles, like originally it was, well, there's, you know, the atom is protons, 
and electrons, and then there were neutrons. And croutons, and then my favorite more. Croutons, the best. <laughs> and then wontons. Um, the true fundamental thing is the wonton. A really good dumpling. Um, but that, that was a period of like, whoa, it just seems to be getting more and more yeah. complicated. We're finding all these particles. And then they brought mm -hmm. them together yeah. into the standard model. And now they're frustrated yeah. that they can't do right, that yeah. anymore. Or they're missing, yeah, missing that, a piece. Yeah, we, we kind of had this trajectory of success, right? We, we had this big mess of stuff. And then we succeeded in making it to be a smaller mess of stuff. And then a smaller mess of stuff. And the sort of anticipated that string theory would keep on or it would let us keep going along that trajectory of simplification, but we've kind of stalled or we've, we've yeah. plateaued. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of frustrating, right? You'd, you'd hope you'd be able to yeah, keep we, on the same we way. Used to say, I think Pauli, Wolfgang Pauli once said, you know, in the midst of you know, just particles getting discovered all the time, he said, the Nobel prize should go to somebody who doesn't discover a new particle. <laughs> um, but you know, maybe this is interesting to probe a little deeper. Um, let, let's say, I don't want to say like, what if, uh, electricity wasn't unified with magnetism? Um, but I want to say to what, where does it help us other than conceptually, you know, how does it help us to say that electricity and magnetism or the weak force are unified beyond that these, you know, are manifestations of, of similar um, fundamental boson, you know, mediated processes, et cetera. Um, on a practical sense, if you're purely saying pragmatically, how does this affect anything? Um, what are the mm -hmm. consequences? If electricity and magnetism were as different as gravity and magnetism, um, you know, how would that, what the, what would that look like? And, you know, mm -hmm. it's rare that we make use of, um, you know, certainly in a laboratory setting, the unifications, let's just say, of electricity and magnetism um, with the weak force or electricity with magnetism per se, uh, although it is, you know, beautiful and interesting to see them as, you know, as these kind of separate elements of a uh, underlying symmetry and internal, very abstract symmetry in a certain sense. Um, and mm -hmm. that they do interact with each other in, in that way. But, you know, in terms of what manifestation on a daily basis, it's it's really hard to say what that would look, how the universe would appear to us mm -hmm. if that weren't. Right. And just to help people, I think, is it correct to say that basically sort of what you're talking about there, about how these forces are, uh, all these uh, atomic you know, kind of quantum forces are related and we don't see how gravity fits in. It's that we can kind of see in the, in the, in the world of the atom, as things are happening, we can see magnetism, we can see electricity, we can see um, strong forces. We see all those forces pulling on each other, and you can even kind of convert from one to the other. You can say, well, this is what would happen if this, you know, it could fall, it could devolve into this and that, and then, but it would all add, it should all add up. Um, but never, is this correct? Never does gravity appear there's nowhere in there that says we, you know, we here's all the different things that keep the atom together or that allow it to split apart yes. mm -hmm. and here's how it allows them to two other atoms or parts of atoms to combine we see all that but nowhere in there none of that is nobody's there's impossible to even talk about mm -hmm. gravity and yet gravity is the thing that is holding everything together including those atoms well to some it's not 
but they may not need the I gravity. Mean, it's not holding atoms together in, in the chemical regime. I mean, in a nuclear, you know, fusion on a large star, you know, a massive star, a neutron star, yeah, then gravity plays right. a big role in holding that, if you like, that massive neutron nucleus together. But no, other than that, no, gravity, yeah. your, most of your sentence was correct, but not the part where there's no chemical manifestation or nuclear manifestation of gravity, except for the fact that when you calculate um, you know, these processes of smashing, you know, two, uh, you know, Higgs uh, bosons together, or whatever, you're assuming it takes place in space and time. And then, you know, space time itself is described, uh, we believe it, it could have a, it is the manifestation of, of matter and gravitational forces and fields. So, uh, so some people speculate that just as when you wanted to describe the uh, the unification of gravity, uh, sorry, of electricity and magnetism, you got something else out that you didn't really expect, which is that when you have these Maxwell's equations uh, and you put all four of them together in just the right way, uh, out pops the speed of light and out pops what are called electromagnetic waves. And you can't have that uh, solution, a wave like propagating at the speed of light without the unification of gravity, oh, sorry, I keep saying, of, of electricity and magnetism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, a little parenthetical, right. you know, Matt was talking about what, how Maxwell referred to the book versus the magazine. I, I think, you know, a different what the if would be kind of funny to talk about. So, you know, what, what if Twitter existed when Maxwell came up with his four equations? Uh, so first of all, the book and the, you know, that, that would be great, you know, but, um, but you know, Matt can tell you much better than I. But the the model that Maxwell had for the propagation supporting medium, you know, was like the ether, but it was also filled with gears and vortices and all sorts of other things. So those of us who like to rely on popper, you know, to say falsification, it would have immediately been falsified. A correct model would have been immediately falsified because there were no uh, uh, microscopic eddies and whirlpools and vortices and gears, right, Matt? So um, imagine the mm -hmm. the setback to physics if Popper had been born 100 years earlier. <laughs> oh, yes, most certainly. A lot of uh, a lot of things we enjoyed, we'd probably have to ditch. Yeah. <laughs> um, ultimately, Brian, where do you... It's interesting because you say, well, why should you know they why do these things have to go together the way they're going what do you think if if it there isn't a unification that comes about from the current way that things are being pursued whether it's string theory or other um do you think that there, that there is it's just some there's going to be there would be some sort of paradigm shift in the way that general relativity was that suddenly reveals some overarching principles that's going on and that's the answer it's like it's not within it's not within gravity. It's not within quantum mechanics. There's a third thing that those two are operating within. Is that? Yeah, I mean, what some people say it's it's less an aspect of quantizing gravity, you know, in the way that you know, Feynman and and Schwinger and others quantized electromagnetism, um, but it's more you know making uh, making quantum mechanics gravitational, so that the you know fundamental as attributes of gravity need to be thought of less as quantizable, but that quantum mechanics is not comprehensive enough. 
to include gravity as a fundamental entrant into it. And, you know, Sean Carroll has kind of advocated mm -hmm. this, this direction. It's not clear to me the computational or, or, you know, benefit in, in direct terms, but, um, but I think it is interesting to think about, I mean, typically the way that people have been going about it since the seventies is, uh, you know, string theories held very large sway and uh, supersymmetry within it. Um, and we're, you know, as time goes on, we're seeing, you know, not, I wouldn't say less and less evidence. I would just say we're not seeing more and more evidence for string theory or supersymmetry. Um, mm -hmm. It may be mm -hmm. that it's, you know, decades or hundreds of years away. Um, and that's just, you know, like if we tried to quantize uh, electricity and magnetism with Newton and a prism, you know, and Woolsthorpe, uh, you know, that wouldn't have worked out so well. Um, mm -hmm. I like to point out, though, that there, there may be some beautiful, you know, what we call low energy limits of a quantum theory of gravity that maybe they are observable. Like, I mean, if you told uh, if you told Einstein, you know, is thinking, searching for a theory of everything till his dying breath. If you told him, well, you know, I, here's a large Hadron Collider, you know, and, and he, what do he say? Oh, that's not good enough. Like, no, he'd be pretty thrilled. I mean, back that was, you know, he died not long after, you know, um, Lawrence created a, a, a 27 centimeter particle accelerator. And now we've got a 27 kilometer particle accelerator, right? So, um, or, mm -hmm. or you said, him, look, you know, if that doesn't do, let me tell you what, I'm going to get something that has, uh, you know, two 30 solar mass neutron star or black hole. I'm going to collide them at half the speed of light. You know, will that test your theory of gravity? Uh, you know, at a certain level, we can't just say we need more and more accelerators, um, without looking for the mm -hmm. low energy consequences, you know, just as a simple example. Yeah the colors are mm -hmm. unified, like white light is the unification of all these different colors, right? So you can show the unification of light as Newton did by taking a prism and diffracting light from the sun, uh, which is reasonably, you know, broadband. And then he would obstruct um, a portion of that light with a absorbing material. So some take out the, uh, the blue color, you know, in that prism. And then he had another prism to recombine the beam of light with the blue removed, and he found he didn't get white light out. Right? He got you know, white minus blue light. Um, so that was demonstrating the unification, right? So is there an analog of that for gravity? I'm not smart enough to think about that right now, uh, but I do wonder, are we looking at the data that we have and the observables that we have right now with that same kind of perspicacity to see if such a thing could exist? Mm -hmm. If yeah. we could create black holes, if. Um, regardless of whether it's safe or not, because this is imagination. Um, that would really help, wouldn't it? You'd be able to just turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, measure. Like you could, is, is that part of the problem that the place where these things really play themselves out, obviously, is oh, they're far away and they're I mean, literally impossible to get information out of? Yeah. I mean, the the aspect of, you know, the are the, the, hope to create perhaps, you know, miniature black holes and particle accelerators. Um, there are, you know, thoughts about the, uh, the density of primordial black holes. Uh, Sir Roger Penrose has theories about black holes surviving from cosmic eon to cosmic eon. Mm. 
And uh, all these reasons, I think, um, you know, point to, again, a dearth of experimental, you know, testability. Um, but, you know, that shouldn't really dissuade us, right? If we, uh, you know, we develop new tools, we refine our understanding, uh, it points to new types of tools that could be built or sensitive applications of those tools uh, that could be employed. And I think that's the, you know, kind of hope that I, I would think that we would, you know, I, I hope we wouldn't stop for want of be able, being able to create a black hole. Because again, the black <laughs> yeah. hole, you know, is said, well, mm -hmm. we don't understand the singularity, um, you know, the gravitational, infinite gravitational force fields. And that requires a theory of quantum gravity. But what if there is no quantum theory of gravity, right? That's the whole premise of the show. So I think it's, it's um, again, it's, it's kind of imposing this, this mandate, this teleological purpose on, on a theory or force of nature. Like no one would say, I guess, a priori, like electricity and magnetism have to be unified. I mean, they weren't for thousands of years, right? Um, and we can understand right. in hindsight that they are manifestations of a similar, of an of a underlying unified framework. So I guess one thing I'd want to think about as kind of at the end here is um, if we say there's no theory of quantum gravity, are we rejecting a specific kind of unification or are we rejecting unification as a whole? We're saying this, it's a genuinely fractured universe we've got. Um, or are you just trying to nudge us to uh, a, a particular kind of theoretical framework for thinking about unification. Yeah, I, I think that's the crux of the, of the issue. You know, I've, I've had a lot of debates with, you know, theologians and so forth. And, and a lot of times you'll hear them say, well, you know, the uh, there must be a God, there must be an afterlife because, you know, otherwise the question of theodicy has no explanation, right? Um, but there's right. no guarantee that just because you feel that there should be ultimate justice and heavenly attribution that such a thing has to exist. Um, and multiple things can be true at once, right? Just as there may or may not be heavenly retribution, mm -hmm. there could be terrestrial retribution that approximates divine justice, you know, or, or whatever. And in the same way, there might not be mm -hmm. ultimate unification of all the forces and fields, um, but there may be, you know, partial there. We certainly know of at least, you know, two major unifications and understand those really well. Um, I'm just wary of, uh, you know, skipping, you know, it, it would be as if we said, let's, um, we don't understand how electricity and magnetism are unified, but uh, Yang Mills field theory, which is like, you know, which is like electricity and magnetism on steroids, as, as my guest Frank Wilczek calls it. Um, let's work on that. It, it would be, that would not be a fruitful you know, pursuit, in my opinion, maybe that would could have happened, but uh, that's not the way it did happen. Mm -hmm. And so, so too, as a parting, you know, thought, I, I just, I do worry, why we spend so much more time thinking about uh, the grant, the the theory of everything, the toe, rather than the grand unified theory, the gut. And I partially think it's a sociological thing. I think it's because Einstein tried to do the you know the latter and was didn't care so much about the former it really wasn't understood during his prime you know uh he was busy on quantum interpretations and so forth not on you know what are the hadrons what's the spectrum of lepton you know he didn't really get into that but i think um mm -hmm. and certainly quarks and everything he didn't live to see that so 
but he was concerned with you know gravitational unification um and uh and we don't really have you know gravity doesn't seem to play the same way and there may be clues um you know from these lower energy unifications like yang mills or from enm and from electro weak uh but uh but it is not guaranteed that's the that's the ultimate that's the ultimate question I think I want to, you know, ask my colleagues. Is it are you so convinced that gravity has to be unified that you're willing to not only overlook, you know, other alternatives that don't involve that, but you're also over uh, overlooking the primary unification of the strong force with the electroweak force. That to me is uh is a is a might be a clue into their intentions rather than ultimate uh, aspiration. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, Matt, what should the the average scientifically interested layperson take away from this? Uh, Um, I should take away that uh, a lot of the important fundamentals of science are not dictated by technical need, right? There is not an experiment or a set of data that demands we look for certain kinds of theories like quantum gravity, that those are choices that scientists make. Um, And that doesn't, I should say, that doesn't mean that they're arbitrary or pointless, but rather I think the thing that, for instance, what my students love to hear is that that requires creativity and deep thought and sort of philosophical introspection on the part of the scientists. Um, that science is not just about crunching numbers and tightening bolts. Um, It's about asking profound questions about why we think the universe should be the way it is. Um, And I should say that that one of the wonderful things about the kind of work uh, Brian is doing out there is that's a space where these kinds of questions are encouraged and rewarded, and it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the coolest thing to me about what, what happens at the frontiers of physics in particular is just that this question like we can't build a black hole so let's figure out a way you know do it and and often that the way you through experimental experiments are able to often find something is through some ridiculously subtle effect somewhere that opens up a whole new world um it's it's the you know that einstein was bothered about the tiniest little things not fitting together it's just not quite right what is that and by hitting that over and over and over that's right great um Gabby, if you have one last statement, you leave with what emotion as you take off into the world? Just a lot of interest, because I think it's neat from one perspective of, you know, if we can't ever unify these things, it seems like it's not going to break the earth, that it's really integral to, you know, our understanding of these things as people trying to understand uh, their universe. But on the other hand, as a scientist, it would be really cool if we could just link them all together. I mean, I'm in a science where, you know, ev- like I said, everything has an asterisk at the end. You know, we said the central dogma for years was DNA, RNA, protein. And then, you know, Howard Temin and David Baltimore were like, mm, not really. And then found enzymes that go the other way that take, you know, RNA to DNA. And then that goes the normal way that you would expect. And biology is very, 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 very messy. And so physics is kind of a a sort of comfort of like, well, okay, maybe it's messy, but it sort of obeys normal rules. And it's it's neat to think that, well, we might just get to a point where, well, there's kind of just sort of a, a dangling uh, line here. Of, well, we've got gravity and we've got something else and there's just a lot of gray area in the middle. <laughs> yeah. 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 
if people want to follow up more on this particular topic, Brian, what's one of your episodes or what, what's a particular guest you've had that uh, mm. they might find most um, interesting? Well, I have a, a playlist on YouTube, uh, on Dr. Brian Keating, my YouTube channel, oh. uh, called Nobel, Think Like a Nobel Prize Winner, which is the title of my second book. Um, and that I have conversations with uh, Sir Roger Penrose about this topic and with um, Frank Wilczek about it as well, two Nobel mm. laureates. And uh, I think that's yeah. those. That would be one of the best places to start, actually. And other, I also have them cool. on audio only on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you guys put your podcast. Uh, you'll be able to find it as well. Right. Fantastic! Cool. Into the Impossible that's is right. the name of that. Um, and your book is uh, Losing the Nobel Prize. That's my first book yep. still available yep. everywhere. Is, yep. Yeah, you've got right. a new one. Yeah, out now. my new book is yeah. called Your Into the Impossible. What is that? Think like a Nobel Prize winner. So, lessons from Laurie. It's really a self-help book for STEM professionals to overcome biases like the imposter syndrome and develop the soft skills that Matt can uh, confirm. I hope that are so crucial to success in STEM professions. Yeah, exactly, and and that we do such a bad job training STEM That's folks right. in in terms of their That's formal right. education. Um, but as you say, are absolutely That's crucial right. for success. Oh, I, I got to check that out. Please yeah, do, yeah. I love that, mm -hmm. that topic as well. Thank you yeah, guys so fantastic. much for having me back Thank on and I hope to do it again, not too distant future. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's a real honor to, to just to get to ask you yeah. questions like uh, is amazing. And um, Matt, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, I'm good for the moment. <laughs> All right, sir. Um, and uh, I know uh, Gabby bids us uh, adieu as well from from the uh, the far beyond um, mm -hmm. uh, of her laboratory. Brian, do you remember the ritual that we end the show with? Uh, do you remember this week? But Matt, if you could explain, maybe give Brian a refresher. A hazy, yeah. yeah, that's fine. So um, this is it's where we, right. we, this is where we deal with the awesome consequences of what we have been discussing. And as the general metaphysical weight of the things we have been considering descends upon us. Uh, we, in horror, uh, shout the name of the show uh, very slowly in protest against the universe. <laughs> it makes us scream. What? No! Cheers, guys. Cheers to you. Thanks. Cheers to you, yeah. Matt. And to our listeners, send in your questions and comments. Feedback at whattheif.com. Go to our website, whattheif.com. You can find everything you've, everything we've ever done is all there. All the ifs and more. See you next week. <laughs>